Welcome to the Waste Not, Want Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews and news to rebuild our relationship with nature, revitalizing our natural resources by minimizing waste and maximizing human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future that you can cultivate and transform to suit your own lifestyle so we can collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You can find the show notes and lots more at philipparos.com. Hello, Wastebusters. Welcome to episode 30. Well, we're a week into Plastic Free July. What are you doing differently and how's it impacting your life? For me, I discovered the advantages of using fresh flour when it comes to making bread as opposed to stuff rescued from the back of the cupboard. It's all very well being resourceful, but there's no point in buying that extra packet of something because it's on special unless you know you're going to consume it before the use-by date because it just won't do what it says on the packet. A prime example of how being mindful saves time and money. A conscious approach to what we're buying is all well and good, but we are limited by the systems that supply goods that wrap stuff in packaging for our so-called convenience. As the Sustainable Business Network says, companies need to think beyond plastic and design products that cut waste out and create a circular economy that looks at the entire life cycle of goods from production right the way through to the end of its life, which is one of the many things my guest Nigel Benton discovered when he piloted a radical waste management plan to reduce construction waste by 90% when he built an eight-terrace house development in Newlyn, Auckland, all without using a skip. Hopefully, the petition with 12,800 signatures that the Repair Cafe New Zealand have just delivered to Parliament will expedite product stewardship with manufacturers as a major contributor to reducing waste. They've also just launched a new website. All the details are in the show notes. In the meantime, regulated product stewardship under the New Zealand Waste Minimisation Act means that schemes must now be set up around the country to reclaim plastic packaging, tyres, electrical and electronic products, agri-chemicals and their containers, refrigerants and farm plastics. California are paving the way with their efforts to eliminate polystyrene and other plastic restrictions on single-use plastics and packaging. A new law came into force on Thursday, requiring at least 30% of plastic items sold, distributed or imported into the state be recyclable by the 1st of January 2028, which will then rise to 65% in 10 years' time. They're also calling for a 25% reduction in single-use plastic waste by 2032, which will be increased if the amount of plastic in the economy and waste streams grow. This is a far more positive move than the contradictory one by the President of the Democratic Republic of Congo, who is planning to auction off 16 blocks of land that form part of the Congo Basin rainforest to the oil industry. Perhaps someone should get him to listen to his endorsement at the climate conference in November last year, when he proclaimed his country had a vital role in regulating the global climate. Going back on one's word and half measures won't help us. A stronger stance and a simple no is called for. Greenpeace New Zealand are commending the Climate Change Commission for acknowledging that synthetic nitrogen fertiliser, which produces twice the emission of domestic aviation, should be priced at the manufacturer and producer levels, 
we should just simply ban the bloody stuff entirely. It's poisonous and intoxicates the air, land and ocean that is the very life force for all living organisms. The Public Utilities Board in Singapore are cleaning up their sewerage to make ultra-clean and safe drinking water. A local craft brewery company are using it to make beer, putting a whole new spin on the phrase drinking piss. Apparently, the sewage is purified using advanced membrane technologies and ultraviolet disinfection, which removes contaminants. It sounds decidedly dodgy to me. I think I'd actually rather drink my own pee. But then, why would you, when it's actually toxins expelled by the kidneys? So pray tell why you would ingest it again. But some Eastern cultures still do, believing it has healing qualities. Our natural processes happen for a reason. As Einstein said, look deep into nature and you'll find the answer. Marine biologist Dr Helen Scales did just that and discovered a raft of clues within the intricate patterns of seashells like Apollonie, the Nautilus, Venus Cone, Doll's Cone, Allied Carry and the Heart Cockle. I'll leave the link to all the details in the show notes because it's fascinating, but I will share something about the abalone or power shell that we Kiwis call it. It has layers of nacre, I think that's how you pronounce it, it's N-A-C-R-E, which is the same stuff pearls are made of. 95% of it is calcium carbonate, which is essentially chalk, which makes it virtually shatterproof. Its super strength comes down to a microscopic structure of diamond-shaped crystals stacked like bricks with layers of chitin in between. The nacreous crystals slide over one another and the chitin stretches, dampening the energy of a spreading crack. Scientists from Canada McGill University mimic the structure using glass flakes and acrylic to produce a transparent composite that's three times stronger than normal glass and five times more resistant to fractures. These experiments can now be transposed to make better mobile phone screens and car windscreens. Allowing nature to take her course, giving her space to do what she does best, helps her to conserve her unique ecosystem and restore native biodiversity. The government of South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands have just designated its landmasses as specially protected areas, complementing the existing marine protected area that covers the waters surrounding the islands. So the whole of South Georgia and South Sandwich Islands now lie within a protected area, laying a solid foundation to sustainably manage activities like tourism, research and media operations. Fingers crossed the Commission for the Conservation of Antarctic Marine Living Resources adopt the same stance in October when it comes to vote on three marine protected areas that have been on the table for the past six years. One area that could do with serious protection is west of the peninsula, where a report from scientists from the University of Oregon says they've discovered a large number of fish with skin tumours around the head and anus, suggesting it could be food-related. Virologists and pathologists believe they're caused by a little-known single-cell parasite that has been sporadically noted before in wild stocks of cod salmon in Iceland and Norway. It's not known how transmission occurs, but the stress caused by changes in marine conditions could make them more susceptible. Whatever the cause, us humans need to leave well alone and allow nature to regenerate a healthy ocean. 
Back in New Zealand, a group of individuals and organisations have teamed up to create healthier construction sites. My guest today is builder Nigel Benton, who's using his 44 years experience to monitor and map out the problems and potential solutions to manage the level of waste on building sites. Nigel shares how the collaborative teamwork with Auckland Council, Unitech and a previous guest of mine in episode 16 in late March, David Knight from Junk Run, have collectively found ways to divert construction and demolition waste out of landfill with the hope of developing a nationwide strategy that could potentially deflect a whopping 90% of materials from clogging up our rubbish tips. Welcome to the show, Nigel. It's really lovely to have you with me. You're welcome. Good to be here. You were introduced to me by David Knight from Junk Run. And I think it was really important to speak to somebody on the ground floor. And you're doing an ingenious building project in Auckland. I'm sure you come across many problems. So what spurred you to do things differently? Yeah, look, I think it's just every time you're on site and you're seeing the waste that we are creating that's going off these building sites, it is quite disturbing. I mean, I, I think towards the end of a project, you do a lot more yourself. So you're putting stuff on your trailer and you're taking to the tipping sites. You're actually seeing what else is coming in from other places. Right. And, and you're thinking, you know, as a world, we just can't sustain what's going on here. You know, it's just it's not big enough to take all this. So what is the project that you're doing in Auckland? So we're doing an eight-unit terrace house site, basically, in New Lynn in Auckland. And, um, you know, we've got quite a volume of stuff that's coming in and out. And it's probably been a really good one to start on. I suppose it's first home buy stuff, so it's good. It makes you go right back to start and you're thinking, what products are we using? Is there ways we can build to minimise waste? So that was quite interesting at the start, you know, working to different sizes and things. So, yeah, it's been exciting. And so what was the inspiration to do this? I guess it's just from you see what's going on. You know, you're thinking, well, it's, it's, it's somebody's got to start at some stage. Right. And I'd read an article um, that Mark Roberts, the senior waste advisor from council, had put in our Master Builder magazine. It, it was really well done. And I thought, you know, this would be a good starting point for us to, to get underway and do something. And so has he been a part of the project? Yeah, he has. Yeah, right from the start. So he introduced me to David at the start. So he took me through and junk run with the first company that we met. And it's been good, you know, getting insight from both of them, I suppose, has been integral in, in what we've done. Yeah, it's been great. Great input from everybody. So when it comes to the choice of land, what was the criteria around choosing the land that you're doing this on? Oh, for us, I guess, price-wise for a start, you know, it has to work, it has to have services available, you know, so they're the main ones. But then we were looking at what we could do with the property that was on there. You know, if it's it's bare land, well, you've got a blank canvas, you just start with nothing. So at least with this, it was an older bungalow that we could pick it up, we could move it off site. Um, That was relocated and um, started a new life, which was great. Part of that was it had a big paved car park. So we sold all the pavers for a dollar on Trade Me. So, you know, that started a new life with somebody else. Um, all the hard fill that was under the paving, we used that as our drainage backfill when we started the drainage on site. So we didn't really have a hell of a lot of waste there. But, you know, I was a bit surprised at the start that when the house goes, the house movers just don't get on board with these projects. They're there to do a job and and, and all of the stuff that was left under the house or the base was a someone had lined it with a Hardy's product, uh, fibre cement board, and that was just scattered around the site. So, you know, they're the ones, the demo guys, the house removal people, we need to try and push them too because they are still leaving a lot of waste on site. Right. It's a huge network, isn't it? It's, everything has a domino effect. 
Yeah, it is. I guess along the way, I was surprised about the things that we did get that we didn't think we'd get the volume of. You know, plastic's been massive. Mm. It was just, you know, I never saw that because you've got a bin on site, you throw it in there and it gets mixed up with everything else. So you don't actually see the volumes until you separate everything. So, yeah, that's been a big one. Going back to the land, because my guest a couple of weeks ago, Tanya, was saying that maybe we need to be looking at the type of land that is being used for projects, because sometimes sites are built on rich, fertile land, which would be better used creating an orchard or food or something. So just paying more attention geographically and geologically as to what's available and juggling that side of things. Is that something that is part of your equation? Yeah, look, I think you have to, especially what's happening, you know, if you look out around Pukekohe Way and things like that, where there's a lot going on there, new subdivisions just going straight through all the best land you've got. Yeah, I think that would be a good thing where you can go out. I mean, where we are, for example, it's it's clay and you can't do a hell of a lot with it. You know, they used to make pots yeah. and pans around the corner, you know, pots and, and bricks and things. So, you know, you had new land, crown, crownland potteries and things. So, you know, you dig a hole and it fills up with water. You know, it's not really good for a hell of a lot. Right. Because I remember when I was living in England, I lived in a place called Wet Pits Lane and it wasn't surprising because it was an old marshland. And it was amazing the amount of houses on there with absolutely no knowledge until such time as you get extreme weather and we're getting more and more of it, how the land is actually going to cope with that. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge thing. You know, I always say to people when you're buying, you know, always buy higher than the road or be sure that you can pass your water onto somebody else. You know, because you're in that situation and we're getting more of it, aren't we? You know, you buy at the bottom of a hill, you're going to get everyone's water. Yeah. And what the hell do you do with that? You know, don't buy in summertime, you know, buy in winter when you know it's at the worst possible time so you can see what the hell you're getting. (laughs) The other thing is, have you found that you've had to do a lot of research on the types of material that you're using to build? Yeah, look, I think for the first one that we did here, we thought, yeah, we did a lot, but I thought we'll go in as a normal builder would go in you know, yes, I could have asked for less plastic on things. I could have done a lot of things, but then you don't learn. So for this, as an example, we thought we'd go in as we normally would, and then we can make the calls on how we can adjust from there. And that's been good because otherwise people just wouldn't get the volume. You know, it, it just carries on regardless. Yeah, it's been great that way. You know, that way I think we can make a difference. I think the junk run definitely brought it up and a few other of my guests is you have to monitor where you're at in order to monitor any progress that you're making and Mm, and see where the problems are. I mean, I saw the other day there's a new company called BioWrap and I know from my work at the weekends, we use a lot of wrap around pallets and things like that and it's absolutely huge. So that would make a massive difference And, and I guess you get a lot of stuff wrapped around on pallets as well. Yeah, industrial glad wrap. That's dead right. Yeah, it's it's the scourge of society, isn't it? I mean, it's um so easy to use and so hard to get rid of. Yeah, we never had it years ago when you started. You never had things like that. I mean, it's it's a relatively new development, but once you've got it, people don't want to let it go. And um, instead of using a bit, they use a lot. You know, they just keep going round and round. <laughs> Being in building for forty four years, you will have come across a huge cross section of people do you find that they care about it or have even thought about it yeah look I think the young ones are starting to you know the young builders we've got on site they've embraced it really well 
And they're the ones that will be taking it forward, you know, because you're teaching them that it's not as hard as what you think it's going to be. And, and they'll go on to the next side. It's one of those things I've found that once you start, you can't go back. You know, everything now you pick up, you think, shit, you know, what can I do with this? You know, I can't just put it in the bin anymore um, because you know where it's going to end up. Yeah. Um, I think what we have to do is start finding more recycle outlets for things, people who can deal with the different products. Once we can do that, we can make it easier for everybody else to follow suit. So there's a company called Saveboard. Have you seen a bit of publicity yeah. lately? Yeah. Um, Paul Chartres, really good stuff. So we've been down and seen the factory recently, and he's making basically warboards out of Tetra Packs and recycled soft plastics. Mm. Great stuff, great initiative, you know, what he's doing. So he'll pick it up from the building sites and, and take it back and recycle it in his board. And then, you know, they're making a profit out of that. I guess on our buildings, we had a product we use called Rab Board. So it's a James Hardy's product, fibre cement. And you use that instead of a building paper, which you wrap your building with. But there's no way to recycle it, you know, and, and James Hardy being the company they are so big, they don't really give a shit. They don't care. Yeah. And, and probably in New Zealand, we don't have the volumes as much, maybe. Um, so doing a study on that, we noticed that overseas, they are taking products like that and they chip it into smaller pieces and they mix it with their concretes um, as a percentage, you know, so you're not affecting the structure. Um, you can mix it with your um, hard fills under your, under your driveways, things like that. You can mix it with your floor fills. But it's finding someone, which we haven't got here, that can make that product as such. So we haven't got anyone who can chip it and do that. We're doing a study at the moment, which Mark found a guy who's got a crusher out at um, Whitford, and we're trying to crush the product that was left over and seeing if we can then mix that with our hard fills to compact it and we can pour the concrete over it. So we haven't got that waste going into landfills. Awesome. Yeah. Are you finding that the buyers are demanding more eco-friendly homes? I don't think yet. You know, I still think it's more price-wise. Right. As we've seen, you know, through the years, the leaky homes thing, everything else, you know, no one's still really looking hard enough. You know, if they can buy it cheaper, then they'll they'll buy it and then panic later when they have an issue. I think homeowners are probably a way to start. If you're building for somebody, they need to be more aware because they could do it. But, you know, probably coming from the building side is better because you are then going to recommend it to other people. And I think it's a whole new way of thinking at the longevity of a project. It's looking at the long term and being patient with the process and the learning process. And again, we're talking about land and it's not until the shit hits the fan and you get flooding that you realise the repercussions of building at a certain place. And the same mm. with the materials that you're using in the home. One of my earlier guests was with Everett Homes and because I did a tiny home building workshop. And again, there was a lot of care and attention paid to not only the space and making it work for the people, but the materials and the labour involved in it as well. Yeah, and I think that's what we're finding now. You know, once you've done one, you find out a hell of a lot more of what you can and what you can't use. I mean, the claddings we're using are all 100% carbon zero and things like that, you know, so we've got products that can be recycled onto other things. Mm -hmm. Offcuts of those, you know, you can sell to people who are doing tiny homes and things. Have you got the volume enough? There's a place called Tipping Point Waste Management. Have the plant there, just a tipping plant there and out the back of there. So that's good. Yeah, and they'll take anything that's left over from building sites. Um, if your tools are broken down, they'll take them because they can be sold for parts or people can buy them for parts. 
you're doing a renovation and you've got pulling out old vanities, toilets, things, showers and things like that, they'll take those and then they recycle them to other people or upcycled onto others. Someone can go and buy them cheaply for, for their building sites. Um, it's just thinking of places like that that are there, but most people don't know about. I was listening to something with the Sustainable Business Network and, uh, and Mutu, I think I've still yet to talk to him, but it's actually having a database of all these places so that it's accessible by everybody. So it doesn't matter where you are in the country, you can tap in and say, well, I've got 10 toilets to get rid of, or I need 10 toilets, where can I go? And it's all down to styles and that kind of thing. It would be so much easier. We need to come together as opposed to working in separate silos. Oh, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I've been saying that to the guys, you know, you need an app on your phone, you know, that's easy for someone. You know, you click into that app, what do you got? You've got that, there it is. You know, it's there. It's all at your fingertips the whole time. Um, If you've got a website you have to visit, it's too hard to get into it. You can't find it. It's got to be accessible. It's got to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that today's technology allows us to do that. As you say, you can be on site and actually source material because I think this business, Mutu, was actually saying, you know, people have warehouses of stuff that they haven't used or even looked at for years. And somebody mm. else, again, you know, it's repurposing that material, which is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Because they just got forgotten, didn't they? They got thrown in the ground. You got too many of them. So you just went and got rid of it. Yeah, oh, they're great. Yeah, I've seen some, you know, Mark from Council showed me some interesting places you just never, ever knew existed. Oh, wow. And that's what we've got to get out to everybody else. Yeah, and I think gone are the times where we keep stuff to ourselves and we need to be sharing it and working as a nation and then and globally, really, as well. And I think also, I don't know how you feel, that if we can rely on our own nation as opposed to bringing stuff in, that would mm-hmm. do you think that would cut the cost down or am I being idealistic? Oh, yeah, it would. It's just getting the volume that we need here, which we haven't got, you know. That's the thing. Well, I'd love to see a place where manufacturers had to have their own recyclable products, I suppose. We have to have a product that can be recycled either by themselves or they had somewhere where it could be recycled yeah. at you know, you're getting too many of these, as the James Hardy example, you know, that put it in clean landfill instead of actually investing, thinking, what can we do with it? Everyone should be the same. Paul at Saveboard, he's got this red board that he's making, and the offcuts, he picks them up and takes the offcuts back and turns them back into red board again. His product is, just keeps being recycled. They are the people that you need to hit. The ones that are making the money out of the product are yeah. the ones that should be coming up with how we need to deal with it. And I think putting the onus of responsibility on the manufacturers is really important. That's what needs to be pushed, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it has to be pushed. And is there something we put laws on packaging that it can be recycled? And also within that, because um, there was a petition about a month ago about repairing goods, and I think the focus was more whiteware. But again, Mm. asking them to take responsibility for what they're manufacturing and that it had a long life. But also in the process is to have that app. If it's at the end of its mm. life, what to do with it and where to go to get the parts. Yeah, because you used to, you know, you used to, didn't you? Your hot water jug broke down or you got a part and you fixed it or your, your toaster or your, your yep. stereos or you did whatever. You know, now there's nothing like that at all. You throw it in the ground and buy a new one because it's cheaper. I believe you're vice president of the Master Builders is it Association. Yeah, in Auckland. So that's good. You know, we can then start pushing it to our members. We've got a huge membership and it would be good for us to get out to our members so we can start making a difference that way. Have you got any plans as to what you'll be doing to influence people? 
We're filming at the moment. And once we get that together, then we've got something we can go around our branches and start talking to our members about and then start pushing. From the talking we're doing, look, everyone's really keen on it, but no one knows where to start. And, you know, it's finding those end users, I suppose, of the products or the waste that we're getting. That's the big thing we really need to work on because, yeah, we can get people on board. Right. But until we've got the recyclers at the other end of it, then that's where you may struggle and you don't want them to try and then revert back to the old tried and true, you know, put it in the bin and it disappears. Have you found the kind of it's too hard baskets that people aren't bothering? Look, I think so. I think people just don't know. And we were probably lucky that I had time at the start to plan this, you know, and you've got the young guys who are keen on site that want to follow this through. And, you know, it's the same. You go to meetings and you talk to people what we're doing and, yeah, everyone's really thinking about it and they want to try, but they don't know where to start. Mm. I think it gathering that momentum and unlike our world leaders who spend forever talking about it and doing bugger all, the good thing about the Kiwis is that, you know, it's the number eight wire. We're hardwired that way. Yeah. They actually get on and do stuff. I was talking with Gareth Hughes so far as food waste was concerned. And again, there have been groups of people all over New Zealand who saw a problem and a handful of people would create meals and take in food and, and redistribute it. So it needs to be done on a much bigger thing and actually give people a sense of community and family that they are contributing because Ultimately, that's um, as a psychologist with my background, that's what people want is to feel that they are adding value Mm. to people's lives, not just going to work to earn money. Yeah, you're right. Everyone wants to do this. You know, they really do. Um, There's some good people. I mean, we've been working with um, Dr. Terry Ann Berry from Unitech. Her and her team in there, they're doing fantastic stuff with plastics. You know, we're taking all our plastics there and they they separate it into um, soft plastics, hard plastics and, and find the end users for it. You know, just the work they're doing is fantastic for the industry or for, for the country, you know, really is. But you need to have the volume of those end users because we're lucky we can take it to them to sort it. When it goes out into the, the population, they're not going to have the places that we can take it to that are going to sort it for them. You know, they're going to want to know what's a soft plastic, what's a hard plastic, what bin does it go in, where does it go to when it gets to the end of, of, of the job or when it's ready to be picked up. And again, it's putting things in place because it's too hard for individuals. Yeah. And we've got so used to everything being spoon fed that we want an easy way to do things. Yeah, you're dead right. Yeah, and it is. And if you're under pressure and you've got no time or anything else and you've got a bin there, well, shit, that's easy, isn't it? Throw it in there and a the truck picks it off. You don't see it anymore. Yeah. You don't think of it going to the ground, but there's thousands of other bins going to that same place at the same time. And, you know, what do you do? Stick it in the ground? How long is it in there for before anything happens to it? What successes have you had or surprises have you had so far in your project? Oh, look. The volume of plastic was the biggest surprise, I think. It's just been massive, yeah. And what it's used for, you know, everything that comes is wrapped in plastic. Everything you buy has got plastic on it. All our frames that came from the frame and trust manufacturers, every piece that came, as in the bundles, had plastic over it. Really? Um, Yeah, and, and probably for each apartment, 
we could have had 10 bundles of material that would have had plastic on it. You know, you've got the framing for each floor. We had the trusses for the top. We've got the mid-floor we used to cassette framing. So they make your mid-floor in pieces as a wall framing. It has the floor on it and it slots together. And um, each piece had plastic over it. And what do you do with that stuff if you don't know? You know, where does it go? It's so easy to pull off a roll for the, at the manufacturing plant and, and staple over the top. Yeah, they're trying to pick up their product. They don't want to sell a faulty product when it gets to site. They want it dry. Perfect, you know, for that. But once you get it on site, it's the middle of summer where you don't really need it. Where do you do? Apart from putting it in a bin, what do you do with it? You know, so you've got to make all of these people responsible. You know, the frame and trust manufacturers, everyone has to be a part of what we're doing. What do you currently do with it? We've got these probably metre by metre bags that we're putting it all into. When we've got a bag full, I ring Joanne at Unitech, who's one of Terry Ann's team, and um, take it down there and they go through it and they're the ones that are sorting it into the soft plastics, hard plastics, and then soft plastics go to Paul Chartres, Save Board. Hard plastics are still looking at a lot of outlets on that. There's companies called Astron and others. But the issues is the volumes that could be created. And once we push this and everyone gets on board, then one company isn't going to be enough, is it? You know, you're going to have a huge volume. My feeling is, is till we get those end users in place, then it's hard to push what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've got to really focus on that part at the moment. And that's where the investment should be. And the other thing that I thought of is um, transport, because I remember a while ago talking to somebody about, we use a lot of plastics in milk, and mm. alternatively would be to have the glass, but they said that it's the transport of collecting it to a central place and and cleaning it and then putting it out again. It's keeping the momentum going. That's the problem. It is. It's a massive thing, isn't it, once you start? You know, that's the big thing. And, you know, we look at plastic recycling, but you're still recycling it into plastic, aren't you? You know, so in theory, we've still got plastic and it's still going to have an end date at some time. Yeah, I mean, there's guys making fence posts out of plastic, which is a great idea. You know, they should last forever in theory. (laughs) But it's still turning plastic into plastic. (laughs) Exactly. And again, you know, like you were saying about SafeBoard, they're continuously repurposing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they're the things you've got to start thinking of. If you're going to have it and it's not going to go away, well, that's what you've got to start looking at. Are you going to do a show home when you finish your project? All what we've done here, they've all been pre-sold. What we will be doing is like the filming and that we've done, we can get that out there. And and I guess once I finish this one, I've got more time so I can go around and start talking to other people about it and start pushing it more that way. I'd love to, for master builders, this would be great to go nationally as well, Mm. get it out to everybody out there, you know. But then talking to the guys the other day was saying, well, that's fine. But if you're in if you're in a big centre, so Christchurch, Dunedin, you know, Wellington, you've got recycled places there. What do you do if you're in, say, New Plymouth or you're Palmerston North or Whanganui? Or where do they go? Have they got places that can recycle it? Or does it have to be picked up from there and taken to the main centres to get recycled? You know, there's a lot that needs to be thought into before you can start pushing it too hard. We were just saying it's the logistics side of things, but again, it's a massive problem and you've got to start somewhere. And it's fantastic that you're doing this. I suppose what we need is to re-inspire people and give people hope and um, ask them to come on board with answers, really. Yeah, you're right. And I think people are all keen and they want to. 
you know, there's going to be people who can start up companies that can make a lot of money out of this too. You know, so there's a lot of opening for things and they need the government help. You know, the government should be pushing this harder. What really has been annoying me, I suppose, that we've seen a lot of around here in we live in Mount Albert, and they've just been munching up the old Koinga Orahos or the state houses. You know, they get the demolition company comes in and they just munch up these old houses and they throw take them to landfill where it's all Rimu and Kauri and, you know, mm. native timbers that you can't get anymore. I mean, that should be sacrilege you know, deconstructed and and things like that it's just this is the government you know that are doing this shit you know they are the ones that want the change but they're not helping themselves at all that is sacrilege of that kind of material eh? Mm. and there's so much of it you know so much building going around here and that's exactly what they're doing you're up you're walking up the road and you just see these big diggers and just munching this stuff up and throwing it into big trucks and expecting it just to go into landfill wow. i don't i don't think it's the same thing isn't it because it's cheaper to do that than it is to deconstruct. Well, probably time-wise, because in a day you can match up a whole building. Instead of deconstructing, it might take three or four days. So everything is just pushed that way. Again, it's that mind shift. It's like it might take time now, but it's the longevity of what you're doing that actually has a beneficial effect. Because everything we've been doing in the last at least 50 years has been shit or bust. You know, we need to reproduce mm. it quickly kind of thing. Yeah, I was reading. I think it was New Plymouth. There was a an old hospital site, and they were deconstructing it, and it took years ultimately because it was a massive, massive place, but worthwhile. And they were using all the old timber and the car parks, and there were lots of businesses. And it's obviously a transition going from one phase to another because there's not always just one person involved. And again, this came out in last week's interview. Patients. You know, you can't hurry nature. You have to sit back and observe the process to understand the process and the effects of different things before you can move forward. And I think that is where part of the thing where we've been going wrong is just going in there thinking that we've got all the answers, but there's no long-term vision. Yeah, so should that then come back to a council thing? So when you're getting a building consent or a resource consent, part of that should be you need to deconstruct, not demolish. Mm. I mean, if it's a house that you can pick up and and you can move, well, that's fine because it gets relocated and it has a new life. That's where the thought needs to go. So you're actually forcing people into those things. Oh, well, look, we've done a few over the years where we have bought sites and they've had big, big buildings on them. One was a nunnery once and um, we got the demolition company in and they took away all the salvageable things and just left the concrete walls. It was all concrete walls, concrete floors and everything else. We put a crusher on site and crushed all that. And it was enough hard fill for using under all our concrete floors for nine of the 10 houses we put there. Wow. You know, so it's just instead of taking it to a tip and buying stuff back again, well, it's rethinking how you, like you say, how you do things. We could solve the world, hey? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. In your journey, um, has there been a book or a person that has influenced you? And if so, how? No, look, I don't think so. I mean, Jackie, my wife, she's fantastic at um, recycling things here. I mean, you get told off for leaving anything around, but um, (laughs) plastic-wise, everything's washed out and hung out on the line to dry, and then it goes into a bin and that gets recycled. And it's surprising, realistically, we're only probably putting out one small bag of rubbish each week. There's not a hell of a lot when you take the plastic packaging out of things. 
So if everyone could do the same, it's just time, isn't it? You know, does it take much longer? Not really. I think it's the accessibility. Um, living in Waipu, um, in Whangarei, there's a, the bulk bin things, but it involves a trip, which is 40 yeah. minutes away. And, you know, it's that ease of things. And so it's it's actually changing the whole thing so that what we buy doesn't come wrapped in, in plastic so that we can take our own containers. Yeah, it is too. But then you can go back to the supermarket. So obviously with the place you're buying it from, they should have a place that you can put your recycled stuff in. And then when the truck comes to deliver their goods, it picks up the recycled stuff and takes it back to where it does get recycled. So, you know, there's ways around it, but, you know, that's merchants as in we're saying the same in the in the building industry, you know, merchants need to be partly responsible for this as well. You know, what they're buying, where they're buying, if they're going to send stuff out, they should say, do you want it wrapped in plastic? Have we got recycled tarpaulins we could use? We could charge a fee at the start when it came. And once you return that, you get your money back again. Like they do with pallets. We get things on pallets and, you know, it may cost you $75 to get it delivered on a pallet. But when you send the pallet back, you get a credit. So you could do the same with coverings. Yeah, so there's ways around it, but you need to start getting merchants, um, suppliers and everything all on board. So do you have a favourite quote at all? Something that inspires you, keeps you going? Oh, look, I think for, for me, it's probably, look, just just start, just start, you know, make that first step, isn't it? If you can start anything, it's always the hardest part. You know, you put off these phone calls, it's easy just to pick it up, pick up your phone and dial the number, you know, you yep. do it. It's like what we're doing here is, you know, save one plastic bag today and you'll save, save 100 tomorrow sort of thing. Yep. It's just changing your mindset and making that first step. Peter Drucker was famous for um, businesses and creating goals. It's the smarter principle where you break things down and you're chunking it in that process is creating the steps to make the change and actually doing them. So, and it's the same principle, whatever you happen to be doing. Yeah, how do you eat an elephant, isn't it? Yeah, it's that one bite at a time. It's that same thing. Yeah, exactly. And you're simplifying it. Just simplify it for people so it's just so much easier to understand and it doesn't look like this big high mountain. It's just one little thing at a time. Yeah, well said. It must be quite frustrating and overwhelming at times. So when you're in a funk, what do you do to get yourself out of a funk? Oh, look, I think having the group on site with the guys, it's talking to other people. You know, there's always someone who's been there before and they've been through things. And it's, yeah, it's never that bad, is it? You know, tomorrow's easier. It's that you wake up at two in the morning and everything's twice as bad, isn't it? And you can't get back to sleep because it's just going on. Whereas once the morning happens, it's it's never that bad. I mean, you can apply. It doesn't have to be just in the industry. It's, it's a very a wide philosophy for life yeah, in huge. general. It's the same thing in general, no matter what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. People make the difference, eh? and like-minded people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there's always someone that's been there before. And you know, sometimes you think you're the only one, but yeah, someone's always done it before. We're slightly older generation. I think we're inspired by the enthusiasm of youth because they recognise the thing. But it's about integrating those generations together because both have wisdom. We can be stuck in our ways because we've been constrained by a certain way of thinking, and the youngsters are not in that box but we do have years of wisdom and experience that we can bring in and so when they're creating solutions it's like well have you thought of x y and z it just makes the whole thing a lot easier when people come together oh yeah yeah we've been there before haven't we we've, we've been kicked in the teeth a few times <laughs> yeah it is and you're right you know the young guys think differently you know that they're better with technology you know different ways of doing things so you need that you know it's getting it out to a total different set 
you know, us, it was always paper, wasn't it? Everything was in the paper or you had whatever. And now it, there's just so many different ways of, of pushing what we're doing. And reaching people. So if I was your fairy godmother and you could change one thing in the world, what would it be and why? Oh, should I think it's plastics. You know, if you could take plastics out of the world, it'd be a far better place. It's just everywhere. You know, you walk down the street, there's cigarette butts lying everywhere. You know, people don't think that there's plastic in these things. They forget that all your drains run out to the sea. You know, everyone's just got to be more aware of what the hell they do. I, You know, you're driving down the road and someone's throwing their lunch packet out the window or, you know, they're opening a pack of cigarettes and they throw the plastic out the window or, you know, how many people have we been talking to that, that are smoking a cigarette and they just flick it onto the ground, you know, or into the gutter? I mean, they're thinking, do they not think where that actually goes to? So, yeah, fairy godmother, get your wand out. <laughs> On that note, I'll sprinkle some berry dust and wish you well. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much. Time, Nigel, much appreciated. Thank you very much. It's so refreshing to hear of projects like this. I'm sure it'll make a huge impact on the amount of valuable resources that are currently being dumped. I'll keep you posted on the progress of the project. Don't forget Bunnings now have household battery deposit boxes in the front of their stores and the warehouse have a recycle initiative that runs until the 26th of July to repurpose old and broken toys. Next week I'm joined by Sue Halliwell, conservationist, marine mammal specialist, expedition tour leader and travel writer who's transcribed her affinity with cetaceans into a book called Being with Whales and Dolphins. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you have time, I'd be really grateful if you could nominate me in the Sustainable Business Network Awards for the Sustainability Superstar and or Communicating for Impact categories. Let them know how week on week I share inspirational news and guests that gives you, the listener, a diverse range of ideas to create a more sustainable future for the health of people and the planet. And don't forget to get in touch if you have a subject or guest you'd like me to consider. My email is info at So until next week, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential. 